morning, everyone. Would you please stand with us? We're going to worship together in the house of the Lord. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and that's awesome for us, isn't it? As believers, this is a great day um, because God wrote, or because Jesus rose from the dead. We have hope, and because He rose from the dead, we know that everything that He said was true. And because He rose, we have life and life more abundantly. And through Him, we can have eternal life and live with Him forever. And so, as we sing this next song. Let's just dwell in that for a moment. Just the power that God has that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that he has to forgive our sin. And also the sacrifice and the amazing love that he had for us that drove him to the cross. To the cross I look, to the cross I cling, of its suffering I do drink, of its work I do see. 
first letter for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver it was the precious blood of Christ the sinless spotless lamb of God
Dear God, we thank you so much that the story did not end on Friday. We thank you, Father, for the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you have the power to defeat sin and death, Lord. And we thank you for the promise that you've given us. Lord, not just eternal life, but life with you on heaven, or on earth, Lord, that is so much more abundant than we could ever imagine. So, God, we worship you this morning. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that he shed for us, Lord, when we didn't deserve it. We give you glory and honor and praise for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It is really great to see you this morning. My name is Dennis. Some of you come here all the time. Some of you accepted the invitation of a a friend or a family member today. And we're glad that you did that. And that you came this morning to spend your Easter Sunday morning with us. As you walked in, you received a folder, and on the inside, there's a card. We'd like you to do something with that. If you just take it and put your name on it right now. And if you want to know more about the church, get information, the easiest way to do that is just go ahead and put your email address, and we'll make sure to include you in the emails that we send out so you can get uh, more idea of what's going on around the church. On the back side, we have an area every week that you can go ahead and put uh, prayer requests, anything going on in your life that, that you'd like prayer with, help with, and uh, we promise you that there are other people in the church that will be glad to lift those prayers up to God uh, along with us. So thank you again for, for being here today. And we're going to begin by talking about um, Easter essentials. What are the things for you that really make Easter Easter? I mean, if, if you didn't have this item, if this thing wasn't sitting in your house today or happening today, uh, Easter just wouldn't be quite happening for you. For you, maybe it's all about the bunnies. I mean, you just, you love bunnies. They're sweet. They're soft. These kind give me the allergies. But, but the next kind of bunny, that kind of bunny, that's a great bunny, chocolate bunnies. Where I grew up in western New York, there was a, a chocolate place called Platter's Chocolate, and they made orange chocolate. It was the only time of the year that we got orange chocolate. Stuff was fantastic. Well, 
You've got your, you've got your, you've got your bunnies, of course, and then there are the eggs. Some of you are into coloring the eggs. My goodness, they do all these fancy things these days. We used to just make them colors. Now they've got crackles and speckles and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the other kind of egg, the smaller egg, the tasty egg, the jelly bean. It is amazing to me how many different flavors of jelly beans you can find these days, and they all taste good. And if you don't like them, you know, somebody also likes some other color, they'll eat those, but uh, jelly beans, they're fantastic. So let's move beyond the candy and let's get to dinner. Uh, this dinner is an important part of Easter, and it's hard to have Easter without the ham. Now, on the way out, I had someone say, what about Polish sausage? Yes, I had that growing up, too. Someone's having an Easter lasagna today. All right, whatever. Easter ham. I mean, if there's not ham on the table for some reason, it just doesn't feel very Easter to me. Now, in our family, we not only had the ham, but we also had the deviled eggs. And as I was mentioning this to someone this morning, they gave me a look like I had just, you know suggested corrupting dinner or something, but we had to have deviled eggs. Although I admit as a very young child, I could not understand why we were honoring the devil on Easter. I just, it really, I was so confused. I was so mixed up. Why are we eating devil food? It's just not right. Then there's this whole thing, this tradition of the Easter bonnet. I never got that thing, you know, and looking around the room, Neither did you. Everybody left their Easter bonnet home today. Yeah, that's a tradition. I, I don't know if that's an Easter puppy, but that's a weird hat on that dog. But, you know, seriously, when most of us think about Easter, it comes down to Jesus. It comes down to the resurrection, the cross, the suffering that Jesus went through for our sin. I mean, there's no denying it. Well, as we're thinking about Easter symbols, I want to suggest a new one today. One that you will see all year long. And every time you see one in the store or pick one up, I want you to think about a question. A question that I think God is asking every one of us all the time. The symbol is an apple. A nice, great, delicious apple. Well, maybe not an apple, but a piece of fruit. There would be no need for Easter if not for a single piece of fruit. A piece of fruit that was known as forbidden fruit. And yet two people went ahead and ate it anyway. There would be no need for Easter if Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, had never happened. The Bible tells us that Satan, his name literally means the tempter or the accuser, in the form of a serpent, tried to convince Eve that God was less than good. Has, God ever, has Satan ever done that in your life? tried to convince you through the circumstances of your life that God is less than good. He's not as good as he says. Uh, He was trying to convince her that that God was holding out on her, that that he was keeping her from realizing her full potential. If God would just let her do whatever she wanted, she could realize her full potential. And full potential was to be like God, to be like God himself. He told her to do something that God the Father had forbidden. She was to go pick a piece of fruit from one of two trees in the middle of the garden. And she was to pick it, and she would eat it. And when she ate it, she would instantly realize her full potential. She would finally be godlike. Now, some of you may hear that, and you say, Really? I mean, a piece of fruit? It it all came down to a piece of fruit? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is God said no. God said no, and she did it anyway. The Bible says she looked at it. She looked at the fruit. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, but that wasn't the point. And she wanted the wisdom that Satan said it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now, again, that may not seem like a big deal. But understand this, everything you've ever complained about in life, I mean, literally everything, every bad thing in that moment was unleashed on humanity. It's like Pandora's box was open. You can blame that moment for cancer, for death, for betrayal, for family breakups, for every horrible thing that's ever happened in your life, for every sin that has ever been committed against you and every sin that has ever been committed by you. It all came down to that moment right there. You see, God said no, and Eve said, so what? So what? I'm going to do what I want. Now, believe me, Eve was not alone in this. We get this image that, you know, Adam was on the other side of the garden somewhere, not really paying attention. Well, the Bible tells us that um, 
He was right there. It says, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And verse 7 of chapter 3 of Genesis says, at that moment, their eyes were open. They had a realization like they had never had in their lives. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I mean, imagine that. In this moment, they think that they can actually fix everything with a pile of leaves. That'll do it. It was the first official cover-up in all of humanity. And how futile, how absolutely futile it was. But that's the way we humans think, isn't it? How in the world could people actually believe that humanity's greatest blunder could be covered with a pile of leaves? The Bible tells us in verse 8 that God used to spend time in the garden walking with Adam and Eve. It gives us a picture of the kind of world God intended for us. I mean, imagine this. You're in your house, you look out the back window, and there's God walking through your backyard. That That's the kind of relationship that God wanted for us. God made every one of us for friendship with him. Friends who walk together and talk together. Friends who sit and enjoy each other. Friends who experience a face-to-face connection. That's what God wanted for us. God's walking around the garden. But Adam is nowhere to be found. Eve is nowhere to be found. And so God calls out, where are you? Where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I was afraid, and I hid because I was naked. God asked Adam several questions in rapid fire. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? But I want to go back to that first question. Where are you? Where are you? Now, I need to clarify a few things. First, God doesn't, this doesn't imply ignorance somehow on God's part. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. In fact, this is just one of numerous verses in the Bible that say God knows everything. So why did he ask? I mean, why does he call out, where are you, if he knew exactly where he was? Which, which leads us to the second potential misconception. We might think God was trying to entrap them. He was trying to get them to lie about the sin they had committed. You know, we do this as parents. Our four-year-old, we tell them, now, now no cookies before dinner. Absolutely no cookies before dinner. And we come walking in the room, and there our kid is standing there, crumbs all over the lips, hands behind the back, and we say, Shelly, have you been eating the cookies that you were told not to eat? And now, come on, I know she ate the cookie. It, it, the evidence is all over her face. I, I want to find out if, if she's going to admit to it or if she's going to lie about it. Is she going to fess up? But you know what? I think God had deeper motives going here. God isn't just trying to figure out where Adam is located. And God isn't trying to entrap Adam to give the wrong answer. I don't think that's what's going on here. He wants to know something deeper. He wants to know if they know where they are. He knows where they are. He knows the condition of their heart. Do they know where they are? That's the point of the question. God is not confused as to Adam's location. He knows where Adam is. God wants to know if Adam knows where Adam is. Verse 10 reveals that that Adam understood the question perfectly. He didn't say, you know, I'm over here hiding behind the guava tree. He He didn't say that. He said, I heard you in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Your presence, God, called attention to my condition and to my disobedience. And because of that, I decided I need to hide You know, I truly believe God extends that same question to every one of us all the time. Not just once in our life, but all the time. He's asking that question, where are you? And he's not asking it because he's not sure. You know, how do I keep track of 7 billion people at once? That's not it. He's asking us because he wonders if we know where we are. Where are we in relationship to God? Are we by his side? Are we close? Or are we far away? Where are we? 
Just like Adam and Eve, God knows the answer. He knows where you are physically today. He knows that you're sitting in a, you know, a school cafeteria turned church sanctuary every Sunday. Here you are. You're sitting here. He's got that peace. That doesn't confuse him. In fact, the Bible tells us he knew you'd be sitting here before you were born. He knew you'd be sitting here before he created the world. God knows. He knows that. On a spiritual level, God even knows where you are before you give the answer. Hebrews 4.12, the verse right before the one we just read, says God knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Have you ever noticed that we're pretty good at lying to ourselves? We may do something and we, you know, we give the reason why we gave it. And as we really start to dig, we realize that the motive that we gave is not the motive that was really going on in our hearts. Where are you? Where are you with respect to your friendship with God? Your connection with God. You know, the Bible describes the spiritual life as a walk. We're walking along. We're on a journey. We're walking through life. And so what we're going to ask today is basically, where are you on your walk with him? Where in the world do you, do you fall on your walk with him? And I'm going to take a few moments to suggest some potential locations. These may hit you right where you are. Perhaps the word that best describes your walk today is that you're wondering. You're wondering. Uh, you, you think about God. You think about faith. And you have a lot of questions. I mean, you just, you have a boatload of questions. And, and the more questions that get answered, the more questions you have. You remind me of Nicodemus. Now, don't worry. He's a good guy in the Bible. His story is found in John chapter 3. He's one of the Jewish religious leaders and he, he's seen and heard enough about Jesus that it's really got him asking a lot of questions. He's got his religious background and the way he understands things. And they're very different than what he's seeing and hearing from Jesus. So he says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Nicodemus gets something that so many of us wish we could have had, a face-to-face opportunity to talk to Jesus, to just go ahead and ask the questions. Now, John, the author, gives us one small but important detail. It says, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. I believe the darkness was literal. It was after the sun has set. But, but that darkness depicts a couple other things as well. At this point, he is in the dark figuratively. He just really doesn't understand. Though he is very religious, he's very confused. And that may describe your walk right now. You've been religious all your life, and at the same time, you're confused. You have a lot of questions, and they're not coming together. It's also significant that they came under the cover of darkness. Coming to Jesus by daylight in public would have raised a lot of eyebrows. He knew he would be criticized. He may even be ostracized by other religious people. So he didn't dare ask his questions where people could see that he was asking those questions. Fear of what others may think often causes us to go undercover, doesn't it? We'll pretend to be something we're not in order to not have somebody call us out. Maybe today you find yourself in the same spot. You have a lot of questions about what you believe. I mean, the questions are really bubbling up. But you have a mom or a grandma or a close friend who would just unload a boatload of guilt on you if you dare to ask those questions out loud, if you dare to start to seek and try to understand. So you've decided, the only way I can investigate is at night. When nobody knows, nobody knows what's going on. For Nicodemus, his whole question turned on this, these two words that Jesus kept using. Born again, born again. And the conversation kept going up and back. Jesus is talking on a spiritual level about being born again. And Nicodemus is just, he's stuck on this physical plane. He can't get away with it. Jesus brings it all, all to a, a point when he, when he says what is for us a verse that is well known. He says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. From this passage, we don't know how this story ends. 
We don't know the end of the conversation. We do know that if you go to the end of the book of John, chapter 19, Nicodemus came along with another religious man, Joseph of Arimathea, and they asked to take the body of Jesus down the cross, from the cross and bury him. We know from that passage that Joseph of Arimathea was still an undercover disciple of Jesus. He didn't want people to know because he might be ostracized. We don't know if Nicodemus was still there or if he had become much more bold. But the truth is, Jesus had made a lasting impression on Nicodemus. Wondering, wondering. Is that where you are on your walk today? You know, it's good to wonder. It really is. Some people will kind of treat it like, don't ask any questions. You might find out an answer you don't want to know. It's good to wonder. Every faith journey starts with questions. That's the starting point. But I do need to warn you that questions can eventually just become excuses. I've seen it time and time again where a person just comes up with more and more and more and more and more questions, not because they're wanting to know, but because they're just trying to push off the inevitable. They're trying to push off a decision. Faith questions by their very definition require faith. You can't know everything in this life. Hebrews 11.1 1 calls faith the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. If you have to have all the answers before you can believe in God, uh, your, your walk is going to stall out. You'll never get all the answers in this life. In fact, Jesus made it clear it's not about having all the answers. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's about knowing the right person. It's about knowing Jesus himself. So where are you? Are you wondering? Are you wondering about your faith? Do you have questions about the Bible? That's one potential place along the road. Let me give you another potential place. Maybe you're not wondering, you're wandering. You've been wandering. You've been wandering for a long time. There's a song we used to sing it years ago. There was one line in it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All of us have a tendency toward a wandering heart. Every person in this room, I promise you, every person has a tendency toward a wandering heart. My sister Kathy was a wanderer. It kind of makes me laugh. She listens to the podcast regularly. So right now, whatever she's doing, cleaning the house or scrapbooking or whatever, ears are perking up. She's wondering what I'm about to say about her. Um, my, My sister was a wanderer. Every family has a kid like this, a kid who loves to get lost wherever you go. My mom and dad liked to used to sp- like to spend Saturday nights doing something they used to call bumming. I thought every family went bumming, and it was only when I finally said it out loud that people looked at me like I was a lunatic. Um, you might call it window shopping or just looking, going to stores, wandering around, and just checking out what they've got. Now, in those days, we weren't mall people. You know, when we became teenagers, that's when we started pressing, can we go to the Boulevard Mall or the Summit Mall? But back then, we'd go to places like Kmart and Two Guys, Twin Fair and Ames, and we'd just wander with no intent of buying. We'd just wander the store. Now, my mom had four kids in five years. I will allow that to sink in for just a moment. You got that? Four kids, five years. I was the oldest. I was the rule keeper. I did what I was told. So my parents said, stick close. And I'm telling you what, I did not leave that aisle. I did not leave their sight. That's what oldest do. Oldest follow the rules. Then there are youngest. Oh, Kathy was the youngest. And way too many times I remember those fateful words, where's Kathy? Where's Kathy? I'm not sure what she did. In fact, after she listens to this, I've got to ask. I'm not sure if, if she just went ahead and wandered away. Or if she would just stay staring at some trinket she enjoyed while the rest of the family wandered away. But nonetheless, more than once, the clerk would announce over that crackling mic, Kmart shoppers, we have a little girl named Kathy at the service desk. She has deep brown eyes and brown hair. Would her mom and dad come pick her up at the service desk, please? She is crying like a baby. And I'd go, ah, Kathy, why don't you just listen? Prone to wander. That was Kathy. Prone to wander, that's all of us. We all have a tendency toward wandering. You know, even when we think we're doing okay. I've suggested this one and you're going, that's not me. And the more you think about it, you realize there's some place in your life that a drift has taken place. You're not as close to God as you used to be. You're not in the place you used to be. And you realize you've started to wander. We have that tendency to kind of 
move away from where, we've been, where we're supposed to be. Maybe we've just fallen out of good habits. Something's happened that has us wandering. In the book of Revelation, the author John talks about a church that had drifted. He said to them, you've lost your first love. If you've ever been in a relationship, you know there's a point in the relationship that you're like, man, I love this person so much, I'd do anything for them. And after a while, you won't even give up the remote for them. You know what I'm talking about, right? He says, you've lost your first love. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And so in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Revelation, he says this, look how far you've fallen. You know what he says the solution is? Take time to think. Take time with this question. Where are you? Just look how far you've fallen. See where you were. See where you are. Think about the question. Where are you? And then he says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. I mean, it's pretty simple. He says, figure out where you are and get back to where you're supposed to be. It's not that hard, really. Figure out where you are and get back to where you're supposed to be. Prone to wander. To God's question, where are you today? You might have to say, I'm lost in aisle three. I I don't know where God is because I've wandered away. I got distracted. I've drifted. I am not where I'm supposed to be. I want to offer two other potential places along life's path. Uh, In a sense, they both go together. If God were asked, where are you today? You'd have to say, I'm wounded or I'm weary or probably both. I'm wounded and I'm worn out. I'm just tired. I've been hurt so much. Life has beat me down. You know, hurt runs deep. Some of us are old enough to realize that time does not heal all wounds. Time may cause them not to hurt as badly, but they're still there and they're still intensely painful. And carrying pain over the long term just wears us out. Eventually, we're just exhausted. We're just tired. Now, some hurts are natural. They just happen. It's the way the world is wired. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, You want to be number one. There's a certain job you want. You don't get that job. Well, there's only one position open, and there are 600 people applying for it, and it didn't work out. Oh, well. Uh, Favorite baseball teams lose, sometimes for over 100 years. It's just the way it is. Some things are natural. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Other hurts, though. Other hurts are unnatural. Other hurts were never the way God intended life to be. Brutality, abuse, violence, cruelty, the death of a child, the abandonment of a spouse, the betrayal of a close friend. These are, these are the hurts, the unnatural hurts that cause us to ask, why? Why, God? Why did it have to happen? We, we cry out, where, God? Where were you? Where are you? It leads us to ask fundamental questions about God's goodness. Is God good at all? I mean, if God is good, why has he allowed so much bad in my life? I went through a season of this in my life. Uh, My best friend died when I was 14 years old. He was electrocuted by a wire running through a tree. And the part that was so hard as I look back on it, you know, as an adult, I started to realize this was the first person in my life outside of my family, the first person that I knew that I had a close relationship with that accepted me for who I was. I I didn't have to be richer or smarter or more athletic. I mean, honestly, I didn't accept who I was, and he did. And then he was gone. He was just gone. And for five years, I I was deeply wounded and dreadfully weary. It was just wearing me out. And I went to a place of despair, a place that outside of God, I'm telling you, there's no way I came back from that place. I questioned God's wisdom. I questioned his goodness. I questioned his love. And I'm going to admit to you, I even questioned his presence. Is there a God at all? So what changed? One time I started to understand that death and pain and deep hurt were not part of God's original design for the universe. That's not the way he made things. That that started in Genesis 3 when people decided that they knew better than God how to run their lives. When they decided to take a bite of the fruit to which God said no. I remember coming to grips too with with a verse that people too often throw out flippantly in a tragedy. It's found in the book of Romans and it says, And we know that God causes every everything to work together 
for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose for them. You know, I knew at that stage in my life that God was calling me to be a pastor, to minister to other people. And and what happened is I I started to embrace the words of a, a pastor from another century. He's a man who said it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. You know, also reading the Apostle Paul when he would talk about the suffering he went through and how he was able to take his suffering and share with others. I mean, when it comes down to it, none of us wants to hurt. Nobody wants to hurt. Every, everybody wants a pain-free life, right? I mean, nobody says, oh, please bring me some hurt. I want pain. It doesn't work that way. Yet when we finally see our hurts, not through woundedness and weariness, but through the eyes of grace, only then can our deep hurt actually become something we embrace instead of rejecting it and rejecting God. We will either allow our wounds to draw us closer to God, or we will use them as an excuse, perhaps as a life, for a lifetime, to hold him at arm's length. To just say, I'm not giving you a spot in my life. I could go on all morning, honestly, suggesting potential locations on this path of faith. Um, there are many. You know, as I've suggested these, you're saying, those, those don't hit me. But as you've been thinking, you're realizing that maybe you're just worried or you feel guilty, you feel criticized, you feel condemned. Or maybe on the other side, life is just happy right now and you don't want to think about serious things. I mean, you're standing at Disney World, you're about to get on your favorite ride and somebody says, so what's the meaning of life? And you say, I don't care. I'm about to go on a fun ride. I mean, forget that stuff. Maybe that's where you are in life. It's not always pain that causes us to not ask hard questions. Sometimes it's ease that causes us to not ask hard questions. Where are you? Today's a good day to ask that question. God knows where you are. Do you? Do you know where you are? You need to know. You really can't afford to hold off answering that question. Jesus made a stunning statement in Matthew chapter 7. It's from part of the Bible that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Simply name that because Jesus delivered the sermon from a mountainside. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of things in that passage that that I find confusing. I can't wait for the graduate course in heaven from Jesus when he says, okay, I'm explaining the details of this thing. Here we go. But I'll tell you what, this part I get. Matthew 7, he says in verse 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or perform miracles in your name? And I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. What's he saying? He's saying there are a lot of people that think they know where they are. And they're nowhere close to where they think. They think they're close to God. And they're a million miles away. And if there's any question you need to resolve this Easter, it is this question, where are you? And if the answer is not in a tight relationship with God, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be corrected. We need to take the words of Jesus seriously. You know, as I was looking for images of apples wandering the internet, I came across this image. Kind of blew me away. I mean, look at that thing. Sections of apples stapled together. I'm looking at this image and I'm like, oh my word, that's life for most of us. We don't have this beautiful piece of fruit, a life that God gave us that's in great condition. Instead, we have bits and pieces and chunks and we've stapled it together trying to make it look as good as it can. I mean, I'm telling you, somebody at your house goes, hey, do you want an apple? And they hand you that thing. What are you going to do? You laugh and then you'd say, no, thank you. But this looks like life for a lot of us, you know? We're wondering, and what do we do? We fill in the blanks with our own answers. We take a chunk and put in our own chunk and say, I don't like what God says about that. I'm going to put this in instead. Staple, staple, staple. And we think it looks all right. 
we're wandering. And you know what we do? There, there's sometimes when we're wandering that we go to really bad places. And so what do we do? We try to cut that chunk out and put in a time instead that we were good. Put in a time that everything was working and say, no, God, this is who I really am. I don't, don't pay attention to that other stuff I was doing. We're wounded and weary. And honestly, sometimes we don't even feel like we have the staple, the energy to put the staples in. Chunks have been taken out of our life. It's so hard. I've been talking for about 25 minutes. Truth is, you've been dealing with stuff for years, a long, long time. And you've been searching for answers and hoping for solutions, and nothing ever seems to make a difference. I'm telling you, I'm not here today to offer a magic answer. This isn't going to be a just do this and everything will work out just great. But here's what I do know. If you're trying to make your life look good with a patchwork of parts and staples, you're living a life that is far short of the full potential that God intended for you. He said to every one of us, he wants us to experience a full, rich, rewarding life. And so today God is asking, where are you? Do you know? Do you know? Do you have any clue at all? You you see, you can't start down the right path until you know where you're standing. You've got to know where you are to begin with. God wants you with him. He he really wants to go back to square one. He wants to go back to pre-Apple world, pre-Genesis 3, before we were hiding. He wants to take us to that kind of relationship. We're hiding because of our sins. We're hiding because of the things we do wrong. And what we're doing throughout life is making the best skirt of fig leaves we possibly can and saying, do I look good now, God? Is it all working now, God? It won't work. The only solution to sin and separation from God is Jesus. Jesus said it himself. It's the only solution. And I would suggest to you today that for some of you, there was a point in your life that you prayed, God, forgive me for my sins. I want a relationship with you. And that relationship happened. And it's great. But you've experienced a drift. And why are you drifting? Because you've allowed the junk to build up in your life. And God's saying, would you come back home to me? And for the others of you, that's a totally novel concept. You've just been, your, your life has looked like this apple here. You've been trying to put together the best possible life you can. And God's saying, it's not about the things you do. It's not about your effort. It's about grace. It's about what God wants to give to you. Today, our sins need to be washed away, and they can be washed away because of Easter. What I'd like you to do is just... Lower your gaze. Look down. You can keep your eyes open if you want, but don't look around. Don't look at the person next to you. Just allow your mind to focus on God right now and let him ask you that question. Where are you? I'd suggest today that if you gave any answer other than right next to God. In close, sweet relationship with God, there's work to be done. We need to come to a place in our lives that we start trusting in Jesus instead of ourselves. A relationship with God is not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done for me. This season, his death, his suffering, his burial, his resurrection, his blood, All of that was given so that we can have a relationship with God. And believe it or not, it all comes down to just asking, Jesus, will you forgive my sins? I mean, you've got to recognize you've done wrong things. I think all of us recognize we've done some wrong things. We just don't think they're that bad. And it's not about having done the worst thing in the world. It's about any single sin, great or small, separates us from God. I mean, what did it take to be separated from God? A bite of a piece of fruit. But God said no. God said no. And we keep going ahead and doing what he says no to. And so today we need to come to that place of accepting who we are. We've rebelled against God. And the only way to have that rebellion removed is to ask Jesus to be the one to forgive our sin because of his blood. I'm not going to put a prayer on the screen or have something printed for you right now. I simply want to say that, you know, you can talk to God right now, not even out loud, in your head, in your heart, and you can say to him, 
God, I know I've sinned. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be on the road. I know Jesus died to pay for my sin. I trust in him today. For those of you that do trust him, it's time to realize that Jesus isn't just about the start of the relationship with God. He's about everything in the relationship with God. We stay continually close to him. We walk with him. We abide in him. Father God, I pray that as we walk away from this day, we would never walk away from this question. Every time we see an apple, every time we see that piece of fruit, we we just, your spirit would prompt us, where are you? And if we're anywhere but safely home with you, help us not to be foolish enough to stay out. Help us to have the desire to want to get back to where we belong. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our servers are going to come right now and we're going to, we're going to take communion. Communion is really, in a sense, a weekly celebration of Easter. It's a piece of bread and some juice. Jesus took it at his final meal, took the bread, broke it, and said, this is what's happening to my body. It's breaking. He took the juice and said, this represents my blood given for you. If you want to take communion with us today, you are welcome to do that. You see a tray coming to you right now. The bread is in the middle. Take the bread right away. Go ahead and eat it as as an indication of your relationship with God. And then from there, we hold the cup and take it together uh, at the end of our time. And, and while this is happening, there's, there's some images I'd like you to, to watch as you're thinking about your relationship with God and where you are today. I love the way these artists predict this, pre, uh, uh, depict this moment of discovery. Uh, what would it have been like to go to that tomb and walk in and his body's not there and all of a sudden the tumblers start to turn and they've heard what Jesus said and they realize, they realize in that moment, he's not here anymore, he's risen. A couple of moments here is again, as you have the chance to work with that question, where are you? One of the things I'd love for you to do is think about your own moment of realization. What was that moment in your life that you realized Jesus did everything for you? Just go ahead and, again, lower your head and think about that moment.
Let's drink the cup together. Jesus, thank you for loving us, for setting us free from our sins, for giving us the opportunity for a relationship with God again. Over and over this week and in the weeks to come, let that question ring in our ears. Where are you? Where are you? And let us not be satisfied until the answer is the right answer. I'm right here with God. Because of Jesus, I am right here with God. Thank you so much providing the way by which we could have a relationship with God through you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our servers are going to come right now and and collect the offering. You can go ahead and put your card in there as they do that and your offering as well. And a couple of things I want to tell you about. One is that because it is Easter, our high school group won't be meeting tonight. They normally meet on Sunday nights, but with Easter, we want to give you a chance to be able to be together with your family. So go ahead and do that. So you're about to go have, I hope, good food somewhere. Uh, really, really good food somewhere, maybe that you made or maybe that a restaurant made, but nonetheless, you're about to eat. We don't have to be told in, in physical life, uh, you have to eat, most of us. Most of us, that, that, that command never has to be given. We love to eat. We have a harder time sometimes, though, realizing that the only way we can survive spiritually is with food. And one of the greatest resources for spiritual food that you've been given is your Bible. On Tuesday, we're going to start something together again as a church. We just did this for 89 days, and we're going to do another 89 days, where we're going to read through part of the New Testament together, a little portion at a time. So on your way out today, you're going to receive a card. Now, this is the whole program that we've been doing. It has day one on down through on the side right here. In fact, you'll find a correlating list in your folder this morning. And we're just going to go through from now from Easter through the end of June, just reading a chapter of the Gospels, one a day. One of the things we were reading uh, some gospels and then some of the epistles and people are like, wow, that was a lot to read. It's a lot to take in. Not that it was too much, but just a lot to take in. So we're going to zero in on the gospels, this part that's about the story of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. I want to encourage you just follow along with us, read one chapter a day and allow that to be your spiritual food. Read what the Bible has to say. You might even want to take some time to just write down a couple of observations, things you learned, things that you might have questions about that you need to get an answer. But I'm telling you what, if you're not spending some time in the Bible, you're you're suffering from spiritual malnourishment. You may not understand everything. I don't understand everything. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot there that's easy to understand and it really helps us to grow. So I hope you'll join us in that. Let's go ahead and stand and we're going to sing and close out our Easter Sunday morning.
wonderful celebration today and we'll hopefully see you next Sunday.